are listening to All Things Cosmic, Philosophy, Science, Art, and much more. A podcast at the Center for Process Studies. I am your co-host, John Ivan Gill, along with Andrew Davis. Welcome. On All Things Cosmic, we have adventurous conversations with people from all walks of life who are concerned about and pursue the common good. So sit back, get a cup of coffee, and enjoy. We are proudly the Center for Process Studies, a relational worldview for the common good. www.centerforprocess.org www.ctr4process.org Get ready for some amazing conversation. Peace. You didn't think we were going anywhere, did you? I hope you didn't. Um, I know you didn't see us this past Monday. But first of all, my name is John Ivy Gill. I'm the Cross Community Coordinator at the Center for Process Studies. Good Monday. Good that you're with us. Um, and yes, we broadcast, of course, every first and third Monday of the month. But I had some computer issues, so... I wasn't able to get to you last time, but I've rectified them, or I've kind of rectified them. My computer is like crazy, but it's doing enough that I can present some wonderful people to you. So, very excited about that. Um, thank you all for those who checked out the last episode with the indelible John B. Cobb Jr., who is... Uh, one of the co-founders of the Center for Process Studies along with David Ray Griffin. We had a great talk with him about his visions for the Claremont Process Nexus. And there was a launch for that um, on October 2nd. So check out processnexus.net and see what's going on with the Nexus and see how you can contribute to the Nexus. We look forward to that and your work with us toward the common good. Well, today, we got a blazing episode for you. A lot of times we have blazing episodes, but this is a really blazing episode. We got my man, the homie, the scholar, the human, um, Dr. Pat Reyes. Patrick B. Reyes is the Senior Director of Learning Design at the Forum for Theological Exploration, formerly the Forum for Theological Education, and a Latinx practical theologian, educator, an administrator and institutional strategist. At the Forum for Theological Exploration, he supports scholars of color and works with institutional leaders on a number of inclusive excellence initiatives. Dr. Reyes helps communities, organizations, and individuals excavate their stories to create strategies and practices that promote thriving. He's the author of the books, one of which I'm looking at right now on my shelf, Nobody Cried When We Die, God, Community, and Surviving to Adulthood, and his most recently, The Purpose Gap, Empowering Communities of Color to Find Meaning and Thrive. And so today we're going to hear Dr. Reyes talk to us about The Purpose Gap as he explores his journey through faith and justice with us. So I look forward to you being creatively transformed. Well, let's jump right into it. All right. Well, we are we are recording. So let's let's get it in. So, Brother Pat, it's good to build with you. How are you? Same. I'm doing all right. It's good to talk with you. And, you know, it's been too long. Yeah, it's really been. I want to say the last time we got to actually build was AAR. Is that wrong or I'm or is no, this that's, about right? That's absolutely right. Back when we were in person, I can't remember. Oh, uh, San Diego. With San Diego. Hanging up. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Where everybody likes AAR to be. <laughs> that's where it should be every year. Yes. Yeah. So so if the higher ups are listening. Make that shit happen because like, it's like, you know what? Everywhere else is cool, but we love San Diego. 
Yeah, no one complains. That's the thing. And they always get a higher attendance. Like, come on. Yeah, you know what's working. Right. Right. You might as well just keep going it there. Like, there you, you know, go. it's like, but yeah, it's 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 definitely cool. But yeah, I mean, since we've last got uh, together, I believe you've gotten a new position at, at FTE. You got a book out. Tell, tell us a little bit about what's going on with you. Yeah, so I'm at the Forum for Theological Exploration. I'm the Senior Director of Learn Design, which includes everything I used to do, which is supporting scholars of color, religion, um, both through our historic fellowships we've been doing since 1968 and also working with deans and presidents for, you know, to really think through what does it mean to have a BIPOC future, you know, that uh, where we're leading, not just um, someone else's diversity. So we've been, I'm still shepherding all that work, which is really cool. Um and a new all the grants, and we have a new online learning uh, piece. We got a new limited audio series coming out called Sound of the Genuine, where we're interviewing people about their life stories. And yeah, of course, the writing, the books, the publishing, all the all the cool stuff, trying to package it all together. You know, there's always something new that we got to do to keep up these days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, right. It's never, you, you can just never just stay still. You always have to keep That's innovating. Right. And you know, I like I like that your work has always been about that. You know, it's it's always been about including voices that aren't heard and including voices that aren't heard in some really interesting ways. So, you know, I mean, I just want to give you your flowers while everyone's listening and thank you for the work you've been doing, you know. Yeah, oh. thanks. That means a lot coming from a creator like yourself. Man, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. You know, one, you know, we're mirrors of each other. <laughs> <laughs> So it's it's cool. So you so this is where you are, and I want to get into the book um, a little bit later on. But tell us a little bit about Pat Reyes for those of for those of us who are listening who don't know your story. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, the, I, I grew up in California. Um, and my family's been there for several, you know, as far back as we can tell. Um, they're you know northern Mexico, not too far from where you're at. And um, yeah, Salinas, California. Uh, Working class, majority Latino community, education desert, went off to uh, state school, Sac State, um, trying to think through what it would be like to return to, to do education, to try to create opportunities and access to resources in my community. And, you know, one of the things that I write about in, in both of my books is how hard that is to be, you know, typically one of the only uh, people of color that's in these classes and also what does it mean to to go back to try to build up um power in and through your community and you know so i've really been trying to do that and think through it and it's only been the last you know couple years i would say even really in our uh in my research when i was doing my doctoral stuff where i realized my community has i'm not I'm not just trying to learn the systems as they are, but like my community has been left out of these things. My stories have been left out of these things. The stories of my grandma, my ancestors have all been left out. And we have tradition and practices that can like help, that can really help save lives in very spiritual, physical, emotional ways. And how do I scale? How do I share that wisdom in a way that's authentic to my community that honors uh, the people that came before me. And so really that's, that's what I've been doing. And like the short version of all that is I've been trying to scale and share my grandma's love. I mean, she was, she taught me these practices in her home that just to this day have changed my life that are able to like reframe what's happening in the world. And she didn't have all these graduate credits and degrees that and letters behind her names, like you and I have. Um, she was just sharing uh, what her, what my ancestors were passing on down. So I've been trying to share uh, my grandma's li- wisdom and love with as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. That's powerful. And I think that you do that, you know, in your in your life and in your writing. You know, I mean, I've never known you. I've never known your grandmother, but I mean, I've I feel like I've met her when I when I read your work, you know, and when I when I see you interact in the world because the way that the work that you're doing and the work that you're writing and the work that you are be- being and becoming, as we like to say in process, is just very, is very different. You know, I mean, the like, I'm just thinking back to nobody cries when we die, you know, that the way that you're presenting theology and, and the possibility of education for those of us who have been left out of certain system is definitely groundbreaking. 
you know, it's really, really groundbreaking. And I mean, I think that 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 way of looking at the world is very, very important, you know. So Yeah, I appreciate that. And you know, one of the things that when I when I the hardest thing about writing stories like that or telling stories that are missing from the text is that you know, the it's the the mix of this is the process that the academy or the church or the broader society thinks knowledge is packaged in, right? So like a book. Mm-hmm. And that's that's not where I got that information. That's not the wisdom and practice. That's not where they live. They live in my body. They live in the, the love between my grandma. They live in the spirit between people mm-hmm. um, and how we share those things. So trying to do this, to do a both and, so that way people who are forced through these systems who lose access to these other ways of knowing still have access um, to the wisdom of our ancestors is really, really hard work. And I would just say that it's not beyond just being hard. Sometimes it just, it doesn't work. You know, there are things that I tried to put into that writing and all the other writing that if you have, you know, ears to hear or eyes to see, whatever that biblical quote is, (laughs) that you can pick up on it, that like there's something there's an Easter egg planted in here that for, for my people, right. that they know that we have something uh, powerful to share and that they can, they actually should honor those oral traditions, those practices that um, don't happen in necessarily in our churches, but happen in our homes that happen uh, between elders. Uh, and, and that's, that's, that's the work for me that is finding a way to do that um, faithfully to all the traditions I've inherited. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you said something there in that, like, it's, it's something about some, some things that the words can't capture, but if you're paying attention, you can catch it, you know, and, yeah. and that may be something that a lot of analytic folks don't like to believe is real, but we know, we know, you know, it's, right. it's just real recognized, real, you know how it goes. And, and there's, and, and there, and there's something I like to say to, about your words that radiate beyond the text itself. And that I think is what you're getting at there. Like that, that's that's the real jewels of it, stuff that you really can't package in these kind of in these languages that we've been given. You know, many times that have been forced on our tongues through several ways, you know. And yeah, you know, with with the academy being one of the biggest types of languages that's been forced on us, sometimes it just don't work that way. You know, it really that's doesn't. Right. So yeah, that's that's powerful stuff. So you so your educational journey, at least, well, I, well, 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 I'm talking about. Well, actually, forget that for a second. What do you understand your first types of education to be? You know. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it's it's a. Uh, I remember. I remember the conversations with um, my grandmother, my dad talking about how the world is constructed, where we're supposed to be in the world, what we're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember, you know, like some of my earliest memories are sitting in my grandma's kitchen, watching her roll out tortilla dough or, you know, cook up chorizo con huevos for the family in the morning breakfast and the noises that, you know, my aunts and uncles all talking over each other and yelling and laughing. And mm-hmm. for me, when you ask this question around education, that's also something I'm trying to recover. Those were deeply formational educational moments. This is the way that we structure our lives. That's what education is about. If education is the practice of freedom or the move towards freedom, mm. that we need to have a better inventory of what's happening, that um, how, how we get formed actually matters in those, in those moments. One of the things I, I talk about then is, is if, if I take inventory of that's when that starts at home, these, the passing of wisdom from one generation to the next. I also have these experiences in the formal education system that just don't match up to what I was supposed to be experiencing. You know, the love, the care as a sacred, precious soul, the like, I am the realization of my ancestors' dreams. I should be in my body treated as such. And in the purpose gap in the new book, I, I, I tell this story about when I'm in fifth grade and getting in a fight and, and the teacher, the white dude is trying to teach the whole class about the just, you know, quote unquote justice system. 
So it makes a fake, you know, fake court, fake trial, overrules what my classmates came up with, tells them that he can handle my dad, a Mexican man. He can handle my dad, but he can't handle the kid I got in a fight with. Hmm. Um, and I'm like learning. That's technically education. That happened in the classroom. So I'm learning a different <laughs> system of way of learning about how this works. I remember being so pissed off that when, you know, he was trying to declare his sentence on me, you know, you're going to miss reset, you're going to miss basketball reset, <laughs> you know, like you're going to have to write out these things. I just refused. To, I had to go to the principal's office too. I just refused to move my seat and uh, frustrating him so much. And, you know, a fifth grader, like when you see an adult pissed off, you're like, all right, I'm winning, you know, as a right. kid. And I'm like, I got him, you know, like I, <laughs> I got this. And I, I still remember him leaning in and spitting in my face. And in this moment, I, I, you know, like, as I reflect back to your question on education, these first memories of how I'm being formed, if I learned in my grandma's kitchen, sitting across from all the bunch of people that I love, how to eat right, how to celebrate each other, how to love each other, how to pass on things that would actually help our lives survive. And in the formal education system, I went and had my face spat at, tell him my dad can be handled um, because he's a brown man in California. You know, my teacher just thinks that's just easier. He won't have, he won't ever come in. You know, he had all these assumptions about who my dad was. Mm -hmm. That this is, we need to redefine education and where it happens. And uh, that's been my, that's also been part of, part of my work. How do we celebrate those places, especially for people of color where, where we do find thriving, where we do find love, where we, where we do find the places of energy. And so often our formal institutions let us down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Almost every time, at least in my experience, I can just, you know, I can speak for me is almost every time it's just not been, you know, the, the kinds of, the kinds of knowledge that we grow up with, you know, we're just told to push that back when you come to the Academy, you know, and like yeah. this is just not valuable, but but as we but as we see, it's more it's more valuable many times for us than what we've than what we've learned because I think that this whole the whole process of the academy and you kind of embody this too, you know, that 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 kind of learning is a type of after a while it's an unlearning because you have to wind up going back to what you came from, you know, and you have to shed a lot of stuff. So yeah, it's like well, does the academy really hurt more than help <laughs> in, in yeah. many ways? And then we begin to ask questions. Well, why do we do this? You know, why did yeah. we even? <laughs> so, yeah, it's really, really, it's really, really interesting. But I like the way you ground, you know, the learning processes beginning with the family and beginning yeah. with, you know, communities. You know, it's a very, very important thing, I think. Yeah. And for those who are listening, I might just also say, too, I mean, that's recognizing that families aren't perfect. You know, it wasn't a I don't even know, pick any 1950s white family sitcom. Like my family wasn't that, you know, <laughs> we're messed up. <laughs> so, so some things went down that weren't right that I captured in the, uh, in the first book and nobody cries. Yeah. And um, I just, I mean, you're, you're kind of unlearning. I mean, it reminds me of stuff we've talked about before, but like, you know, going back to Ruben Alves and mm -hmm. thinking through this moment where he's teasing out or he's writing about unlearning the process of formal education. He's writing his dissertation while in exile in Brazil. At the same time, he knows that the thing that he's engaged in this PhD process is actually not forming him right. Like this isn't the right thing either. It provides a like avenue for him to kind of, you know, survive a moment, but it's not really the type of education that um, he was about or that they were about. And I think as a, as someone who thinks a lot about how do we, then do a both and like these are the systems that exist in the world so yes. how do we navigate them how do we uh, deconstruct them how do we place our our meals at the center of the table um and you know I, there's a um one of the ways i just put this in a in a book on philanthropy was that if if we were able to think about uh, education, formation, investment, any of these things where people are receiving something like my grandmother's table, mm -hmm. that not everyone would be fed in probably the same way that they currently are being fed. Like there would not be an overinvestment in white communities 
you know, if you walk over my grandma's threshold. But here's the other like really cool thing. She fed everyone who crossed over into her home. Like anyone who came in, you were a distinguished guest. You were so loved and you knew that from the moment she saw your face. And I think one of the biggest fears about what happens in this kind of unlearning moment is these systems are so fragile and they know what they've, they know the harm they've caused Mm -hmm. that their kind of reaction is to say, you know, to kind of push back or say, you know, well, now you're excluding me or, you know, whatever these kind of reactions that they have and what they're missing is what like my family, what my tradition, what my people have to offer, which is no, you're still going to get fed. You're going to have to eat with everyone else. It's going to be loud. You know, like it's not going to be quiet. You're not going to get a five-star meal, but you're going to get, you know, you're going to get your tortilla. You're going to get beans and rice and you're going to, you're going to have someone to talk to. Like, and that's to me, something that's really, really important for us to kind of recover as we do this kind of unlearning is that no one's being left out of this unlearning process that we are actually committed to building a new future where we all thrive. Mm -hmm. Um, and for some of us, that does mean, you know, some historic wrongs need to be uh, need to be made right. Uh, but like I said, our imagination is bigger than those who have um, who have been doing the the violence of colonization. Um, and I just I'm I'm excited by that work. I'm excited because it gets you know puts me in proximity to people like you who are who are creating incredible um, ways of being, ways of knowing, ways of hearing, ways of experiencing the world that actually matters to our communities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Yeah. I think that's, that's something else, you know, cause we have been, cause yeah, we've been so structured to think well, learning can't be that, you know, yeah. but, but, but yeah, the way, the, the way, the way you say that and the way, and the way you bring it to life in your, in your writing and in your person is very, is very much just that, you know, no one's getting left out. Like, like the way you're included is a little bit different now, that's but right. But it's a little more equitable, you know. You know, right. and it's it's yeah, it's it's some it's 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 something else. Like, and it's just yeah, it's powerful because you remind me of some several things that kind of my parents have taught me and brought me up in. You know, it's it's some right. it's it's something else. Like, it's beautiful. You in your writing, you know, you get really open, <laughs> and you don't hold nothing back. You know, and and I think that itself is a strategy. Of not just writing, but about, but but of just doing the work of education and and the work of theology and the work of just learning in general. It's it's really just being vulnerable, and I really appreciate how you go about that. You know, so yeah, man, I appreciate that. I mean, part of um, I was talking about this with Greg Ellison, um, who wrote Fearless Dialogues and Cut Dead, but still alive and anchored in the current a large uh, kind of. Uh, group of writers who were thinking through Howard Thurman's stuff. And Greg mm-hmm. is poetic. He writes beautifully. I think our, the, the, the pain and the violence that we're both trying to write through, he writes in a very um, beautiful way. Like his, it's almost, you know, song like in the way that he puts his words together to really give people a, um, almost something to sing to sing themselves out of the trauma and pain that they're experiencing in, in the world right. or that he's experiencing. In my work, I could, I could never do that. <laughs> you know, like I feel like. Don't say yourself the, short, man. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, you know, I was trying to capture the rawness of, of uh, my experience, of the experience of, of uh, my family. And I still, I would say I still fall short, even in that capturing the rawness. I mean, one of the privileges you have is a person who is able to write or have the time to write or step back and reflect and move to that the, you know, prefrontal cortex of your mind to do some reflection on uh, life and what's happening in the world, it, especially when you're still grounded in communities. I get called out all the time from people who are living that rawness every day, every moment, who are incarcerated, who are thinking through. And I opened the uh, purpose gap with that, that knowing that within my community, there it's not enough just to name or diagnose these problems or to try to get people to experience them who may not be experiencing them. But then how do we give like people handles to say you're actually implicated, not just in the cause of trauma or, um, 
or, or in some cases, the victims of trauma, we are all, you know, we need to find solidarity to find some ways to create collective healing and emotion, but to actually give people handles to say, like, how do we do this work together to, to build practices, to build networks, to build power so that way we can collectively heal our communities. And that's always been the real challenge for me on the, the, how do I capture that faithfully, that rawness faithfully. And on the flip side, not just do that for the, to bleed all over the page or bleed all over the reader, but to really think through, okay, if, I, if now they ex, they know the experience of what people are doing and they know the stories and they care about people, how do we, how do we give them some handles? How do we give them in, you know, FT's language, the next most faithful step or the next most graceful step for them to actually reach out and change something in life or change something in the world. And um, I'm still growing in that. There's not, a, there's not a lot of people who do, who do that work because I mean, you and I both know you can get, um, you can get tenure, you can get book contracts, you can get speaking tours yeah. based on diagnosing the problem. Like here's what's wrong with the world, but you know, trying to be generative and find ways forward. It, that's, that's hard work. Yeah, most definitely. You know, it's, it, it requires you getting out of your head, <laughs> you, know? Yeah. you know, and, 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 and I think you, 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 you hit on something that's very, very important because, you know, there's, as a certain luxury that comes uh, with, 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 with having the space to be able to write, you know, yeah. and sometimes you, you can get lost in that. And, yeah. and then there's certain academic things that kind of come along with you being lost in writing, but then you have to ask yourself, well, well, if you're really serious about this shit and if you're really, and if you're really serious about what you say, then why aren't you in the world, you know, and why aren't you doing something that kind of, that can that, that means something because you brought up you brought up Alves, which is a, which is one of the one of the greatest examples you know of this where he's like man let me let me, let me get the lowest grade possible in his dissertation get the fuck out of it because this is not where I need <laughs> yeah. to be you know and this is and I like what you've done in your work in the purpose gap and in nobody cries when we die because you've you've shown people that you 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 don't need the text. You know, you know, you don't, this doesn't have to happen in text. You know, this needs to, if it, it doesn't work, if it just stays in text. So that, that, so, so you've opened up the playing field and you set an example for, for people who go back to the stories themselves and, and you've inspired people to just tell their stories and live life in a way that transformed the, the world by living a story. Cause sometimes, you know, your, your book isn't, your book is an exception in terms of price, but some of these books are way too much. Nobody's yeah. going to buy. I know mine is way too much. Like, you know, I, I don't expect nobody to buy that shit. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, I think that there's something powerful about the practical nature of things that you bring out in your work, you know, and just that connection between the people and theory, you know, because theory, theory is practice, practice is theory if we make it such, you know, and I really like, really like, like the ways in which you make it such, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, uh, John, I think, I mean, you're 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 a you're an artist. I mean, you're you're someone who's able to collaborate, to create, to produce, um, to put stuff into the world. And I think um, what I've tried to do in writing is not unlike a creative process in in art, in that I am I'm trying to do multiple things at once, and I need all the pieces to fit together. And that practice isn't. That's not everyone's practice. That's not for everyone. I know people who I got back home, don't even have a high school diploma. And if we end up talking about, um, you know, rites of passage stuff or, you know, folks who are experiencing um, deep trauma, how to do some embodied practices to heal them, which I get a lot of invitations from people to ask me to teach them. I got people back home that can do that, like run circles around me, around those practices. Um, that know how to do that work really well. They do it every time. Are they called? Do they want to write a book? No, <laughs> no. Like they, they, they're not called to do that work. Like that, they're just like, look, if people want to sign up for my workshop or they want to come to the small group, or if they want to go on the hike with me, because we're going up to the sacred spot, then cool. Let them come. But I'm not, I'm not doing all that work. Um, that's not my piece. Uh, on the flip side, I got, like you said, I got really brilliant people that I get to work with through, uh, FTE who are scholars of this stuff who have never tried anything that they write about. Like they just, it's all a head game for them. You know, it's the neck above. And I, mm -hmm. and that kind of piece 
to be in between, to know, <laughs> to recognize that, um, like there, there's always, I mean, I hate to use a sports analogy on this, but like there, I played basketball my whole life. There's always a court that's a little bit better than what I can play at. And I always try to get on that court and, you know, it's recognized that there's, there's experts. There are people who just do, do what I do a lot better around me. Mm-hmm. Um, and writers and artists, if you're committed to your craft, you're constantly trying to find people who can up your game and navigate that space of holding that intention where you're creating together, you know, ensemble cast. When I did uh, theater stuff mm-hmm. is like the perfect way to do it. Like you can't have a single star. You really got to get people working together to make something great. Um, and that takes a little bit of extra work and, and research and writing uh, indigenous research methods is the way to kind of think about that where anything I write, I mean, it hits, it hits whoever it is or the people or the community that I'm working with, it hits their screen or, if I have to print it, their thing first, if I have to go and have a conversation, I go and have the conversation. And those are hard conversations because it's not just, it's not just writing for writing. I'm not just writing because I think words on paper matter. I'm writing because mm-hmm. I'm trying to, uh, you know, for my people trying to avoid erasure and uh, annihilation. Um, and that's, that takes a different level of commitment to the craft to engaging people who may not put stuff on the page to say like, look, what you do is the story. We can, we tell that story. Can we get that out there? If you won't want to do it, how do I help? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's really a powerful move because you know, this, these sorts of moves don't always get you tenure. They don't always get you anything that you that the system says we need. And then the question becomes, well, do you really need that? <laughs> you know, is yeah. that really is that really life giving? You know, because 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 sometimes after you finish these programs, people do ask the question, well, you know, are you well, are you looking for a tenure track job? And is and and the default response is always supposed to be, yeah, but but why should you? Is that is that the only right. way this thing works out? <laughs> you know, and 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 is it is it helpful to be? I'm not I'm not saying it's bad, but I'm not saying it's good either. You know, and we have to really ask these questions. Well, well, how is that life giving? You know, if we're now that's the thing. You know, if if someone says they're just an academic, okay, word, I can't really okay. This is what you claim. I can have my feelings about it, but that's what you claim to be. But if you're saying that you're doing some justice work then how is that really justice or are you simply creating another another system for yourself within a system that doesn't like you anyway <laughs> you know it's, yeah it's, it's crazy it's crazy. i mean for me it's like you know if you're the thing that we're trying to do we're trying to capture the sound the produce the produce the spirit of the people you know if we're really trying to reclaim uh lost narratives the um trying to you know, histories that have been erased or people that have been erased and, and uh, really account for the deep historical traumas. You have to ask like, for who, but who are you, who are you doing that work for? I mean, I, I know who I'm doing my work for. I mean, I said it at the beginning of this with, I'm trying to scale my grandma's love. It's for the folks back home. I mean, we're still you know, involved in programs that help folks go to, you know, junior college and think about education as, you know, by and for and with our people. Right. The challenge always becomes, I remember my first academic job, I was sitting in there and um, one of my, uh, my supervisor had asked me in these words, Hey, can you tell your story? And I'll do the theory part. And man, I had a PhD. This dude didn't have, it had a, had a, had a master's degree, but I had done all this research and all stuff in it. Like here I was, he was putting me on stage for a school that was, you know, 78% white affluent um, students to tell me just to tell my, you know, tell, whoa, you know, to t- say how I made it out. Like he had found wow. me and he was going to take my notes, all the stuff that I had written on the research around what I was trying to, the practice I was trying to do with these uh, students, then he would have done all that. He'll take that. And it's like, of course yeah, you could. assume that the white dude in the room could do this theory piece that, you know, people of color can't do that. Like this is his assumption of what's happening and that the students would be well receptive. I mean, it's, Mm-hmm. It for me that moment was like, who am I doing this for? Because this man right here doesn't value the intellectual piece that I bring, or if he does, it's an exploitive way. He's just going to take what I've my work and put his work, you know, put his name on it. 
Sure. And these students are not my family. They're not my friends back home. They're not my, they're not my cousins. They're not the people I'm deeply committed to. So what am I doing? And that's like that moment right there for the vocation, for anyone who's doing scholarship, anyone who's a scholar of color, that's a, that's a profound shock because for so many of these PWIs where they want that one in the room, who's willing to stand on the stage and say, I represent all these things and make everyone feel comfortable that that's, that they're, they're okay with all these assumptions and norms that, that they're operating with in these institutions. And it's powerful to say otherwise, to say like, Hey, we're going to try to do this to try to do this differently and, and not do this as a solo scholar. Like the best scholars that I know who do that work of justice, like you're saying, man, they don't work alone. I mean, there's no lone mm-hmm. rangers in justice work or, or uh, freedom fighting, you know, you got to go with your people. Um, so I just, I see it's like a, it's a going all the way back to your unlearning thing. It is unlearning the habits that these institutions are, are trying to train us up to be, uh, to operate in a certain way. And I mean, you're a process person too. I, I think there's so much resonance here with um, process theology like that. I don't understand. I, I've met process folks who are like that. And I don't get look, your, your theoretical ground that you stand on is not solo oriented. It's deeply relational. Right. <laughs> it's being. So like, why would you not be committed to, you know, the flourishing and thriving of other people in the world and in the spirits around you? It just... I just, there's such a big disconnect between what we say we are about theoretically, uh, philosophically, um, spiritually, and how we actually act, how we actually practice that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's very, very true. You know, cause you have, yeah, you have a thing, a metaphysic like process thought or just a way of being, but many times we forget to be <laughs> and, yeah. and, and we get caught up or, or I'm sorry, we, we forget to become, you know, which is, yeah. you know, it's yeah. Cause sometimes it does get lost and, and, and this is what I think the, um, the center really, really, we're trying to bring a focus back on right now is just, you know, what have we lost in this whole conversation that has only included certain people? You know, it's only, that's it's only, right. you know, it, it's, it's really, it's really been that way for, you know, and, and, you know, I've been in this community. I was, you know, I always wanted to go to CGU. I got the chance to, um, from, from Chicago, I took it, shout out to Dr. Coleman who made that happen. Um, and yeah, I, and that community has definitely accepted, you know, I'd never felt any, any, any out of place or nothing like that, but there, there's, there's still work that we've not done historically, um, and work we've tried to do, and that's and, and now part of this podcast is just a way to really embrace things that we've talked about but have not really done, you know, right. in the ways that we, and and there have been some great things we've done, you know, but um, we can't just stop there. So, so yeah, it's, it's about kind of putting this stuff and making it, making it do what it do, as they say, that's you right. know. You you got the mechanism, use it. You know that's right. So yeah, and you really challenge us to do that. Like I mean, just just everything. You know, what is it? What has it been like working at FTE? I absolutely love it. I mean, part of it is leaning into the relationships. I love, absolutely adore the people I work with. From um, well, Matthew Wesley Williams, who's now the president of ITC, who brought Shout me out. on. Yeah, in twenty sixteen. Just, um, I mean, like talk about a coach of coach, a mentor of mentors, a friend of friends that, that dude um, brought me along and, um, sitting in the, all the life stuff that happens beyond work with him. I mean, only fuels the work being in that deep relationship, Stephen, our president, same way now. I mean, like we're dreaming up things around FT's work around how we can support the next generation of leaders. Um, leveraging traditions and practices that have been largely left out of the canons um, of both of our trainings while not excluding anyone. Like we got something to offer the world. So like thinking through and dream, being able to dream with people who don't limit your dreams, especially, I mean, as Chicano, like I said, as a Chicano coming out of the, uh, out of an education desert, like the first thing that people want to tell you about your dreams is they're wrong. You know, like they want to put a limit on them and, and mm-hmm. working in a place where people say you can't dream big enough. 
I mean, it's like, it's, it's so life-giving affirming and the, you know, the folks um, that I get to work with day to day, like Elsie Barnhart and shout out to Elsie um, too. Yeah. yeah. And Darlene and Christina. I mean, just some of the best people and those relationships really drive the work. I, I think that um, working at FTE, um, I mean, we are blessed with a great mission. Um, but if, you know, as we discern this work, the, the work only extends as far as the relationships that, that, that you have in life. And, um, you know, when I can trust the people um, like Heather Wallace, who I work with pretty much daily, if something were to happen to me and, you know, beyond the page of our work, you know, I know that uh, my kids are going to be all right. Like, you know, even if they're not the ones coming <laughs> over to help me out, right. knowing that they're doing the work in the world uh, means that the world's going to be okay. So I just, I love working at FT and I get so inspired by working with so many um, young adults and doctoral students that are really trying to uh, cast a different vision who are also dreaming big dreams and to be at a place to say, you can't dream big enough. Um, keep going. Um, how can we help is really, really, really cool. The flip side of all that is, uh, this goes to our whole conversation here. Uh, we say that and we do that work in very static systems and very limiting systems that have particular rules and standards to play by and they're not written by by us for us or with us so that part is always tricky how do you navigate the both end that we have to build some sort of alternative or spaces or you know melvin sampson's hush harbors you know like you got to have yeah. spaces where people can go to be together and heal from the trauma of the current systems and how do you have the capacity to help communities and leaders and next generation have the resources and ability to dream otherwise? Mm -hmm. um, so that way your book, John, is on a price point that everyday people can buy, you know? Yeah, yeah. Listening, shout out to Rutledge who, who, who made it and yeah. make it that high like you do <laughs> so it's like it's like yeah but yeah this is what i'm talking about you know this is what i'm talking about how does this how do we make because yeah you know this is something i struggle with every day okay we're you know because sometimes i'd like to just say i want to just like destroy the system but then i don't because i work in it you know yeah. and 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 how do you navigate that and and yeah i think what 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 you've been doing over there and what other people who are at fta fte right now have been doing that you know, have been, yeah, we work here, but we also are scheming up some stuff to 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 kind of chant down Babylon as the Rastaman say, you know, trying to figure out how do we get this thing, you know, to function in ways that are beneficial for us. And and eventually that may be a replacing of the whole system itself. But until we get there, you know, there's some things that can be done. And I think FTE has been doing it. You know, and you you you've been at the helm of that because so many people. I mean, you're connected with so many of um. Well, I, actually, probably like if not all of the FTE fellows. And man, you know, their their reports about your work is just nothing short of awesome. You know, and and you see it all the time, and especially when you know when you you know you you see the the glories the glory stories when you when you when you go to AAR when you go to um the the after the afternoon that the after the after um session sessions the parties <laughs> and all that you know you 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 hear these reports so that's really dope it's really dope what you do man oh man i appreciate that john you know part of i'll just say this around that is i'm really fortunate to be uh, surrounded by so many inspiring people, especially the fellows that I get to work with, you know, people who are trying to do similar things to me to like, make sure that our people, uh, our lives are captured, um, you know, recorded, celebrated and um, remembered and passed on to future generations. And I, I think that's just so inspiring, but I would say that one of the things that's always kind of struck me that just is so odd about the field that we work in, I mean, going back to the very beginning of this conversation, like, what am I up to? I'm about scaling the, you know, sharing the love that my grandma had at her table. And mm -hmm. if, um, you know, fellows are listening and people are doing that, I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not magic in my mind to what we do, uh, what my team does, what Elsie does, what I do in that when I get those phone calls, when it's not a celebration phone call, which is, you know, 95% of the phone calls, um, 
and conversations I have are not like, Hey, I just got a new job or I just got a new publication. Like, you know, I very rarely get those phone calls. It's normally when life is happening. Right. And man, I just, every single time it's not, it's not me coming up and coming up with solutions or saying, this is what you got to do, or this is what I think you should do. Or it's doing what my grandma did, you know, did. It's like, Hey, can I get you a meal? Why don't you sit down? Tell me what you want. What's going on. I mean, it's a lot of questions and mm-hmm. that, <laughs> that to me again was missing from what we teach is missing from how we lead. Right. Um, it's not rocket science. Like it's just basic human stuff. Like be relational That's to the right. people in the world and the environment like that surrounds you. I mean, and part of it is also have the humility that I am not the protagonist. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not the center of this story. This story is bigger than me. Um, you know, as, as we, the way I've been introducing myself recently has been, you know, I sit between five generations of Carmelitas, five generations back. There was a Carmelita. My grandmother's name is Carmen mm-hmm. or Carmelita. My daughter's name is Carmelita. I'm sure in five generations, there'll be another Carmelita. Mm-hmm. And having that humility, I sit just between that, that one, that Carmelita in five generations won't know who the heck I am. Mm-hmm. She won't, she won't care, but hopefully she f- picks up on the spirit and the seeds of love that I'm that I'm carrying forward from previous generations, so that way she may feel that love and thrive um, from it. And and that that takes some humility about the that what I'm what I'm actually meant to do here with my time, with my call, with my writing, whatever it is, my work. Yeah, is about tending to the relationships um, that I have with the world, with the spirits, with the people I come in contact with, That's and. Right. Um, if we could get more people to do that, I think that we would not be investing in shitty systems that exploit us. And we would not be investing in, in over-investing in uh, people who have already inherited the wealth of exploitation. Like we would be thinking about how do we relate to each other and to the world and to our traditions and our practices and our histories differently. So that way we may make something that actually benefits um, our people and, and the few generations to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful. You know, I feel like I met you, Oella, when, when I, when I, when, when I met you for the first time, you know, because you ain't even know me. Like, you know, I think I met you, I mean, the first time, well, of course, because the first time you meet me, I think I, I must, the first time I encountered you in person, I, I knew who you were, but everything I think I encountered you in person must've been at one of the Theopoetic. I think it was the first Theopoetics conference, I want to say in Boston. I think that's the first time I actually saw you in person. And when I met you, it was like I knew you for 50 years. You know, I'm not 50 years old and neither are you. But 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 I mean, but I mean, it felt like I'd known you for a long time. And just that and just that warmth that you bring to the table. And yeah, you know, we don't we don't many times privilege that. Um, we privilege this whole, you know, deontological, you know, head game, as you mentioned earlier, like, okay, well, this this is the way you mentor. The way you mentor is not, well, let me just break bread with you. You know, let me just kind of check in with you. You know, we don't, sometimes advisors don't have them. Now, my advisor had those talks with me. I was blessed, but a lot of people's advisors didn't. It would just, it would just, well, you, you got some pages for me? You know, you got to, if, if not, then we only, we only need to talk, <laughs> you know. But is that a really helpful way to do stuff? And yeah, it's, it's really not, you know, the way, the way the system, the system is the way it is because of that. You know, so yeah, it's it's just revolutionary to think of it differently, you know. And 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 the sad thing is it shouldn't be revolutionary. You know, I don't no. think it should be revolutionary to think of things that way, but it is, you know. So we still got work to do. So we got a lot of I mean, and part of the part of what you're saying, John, to me is I I'm I'm also recognizing that in the academy, I mean I had similar advisors in my doctoral program that were very like caring. Um and it almost, it's not that it didn't matter that I wasn't, that I was doing scholarship. I mean, I think my, the scholarship I was doing, I mean, I was writing about underground river and Salinas. There's a river that runs underneath. I was basically saying that's like the spirit, you know, like some of us need that underground river that gives us life that yes. we can draw on when we need it. And at the same time that that river, that kind of time, that space that you play in relation is not, it's not in lieu of writing. It's not in it's not to replace the the deep reading or scholarship. It's actually acknowledging 
that the exchange of ideas, the exchange of practices, the exchange of our kind of knowledge system can operate in a different way. My, my um, son is part of the deaf and hard of hearing community. Mm-hmm. And part of what we do is, um, you know, we're getting up to speed on our ASL. I mean, he, he's pretty, part of what I'm seeing there is that even this, this conversation, we're doing a podcast is limited in the way that we transfer knowledge. Like there's new ways of, of thinking through with my son around how do we tell our stories in ways that I have not been thinking about? Cause here I am using, you know, languages around hearing that just don't make sense in that community right. or with him. Um, so part of, part of my challenge has always been around like, where are the places where we're getting life and spending the time doing the work that we say we're doing that, that actually matters. And, and trying to get these systems in little pockets to recognize this is what this is actually how we do this work really well. This is how students learn. This is how scholars learn from each other. And to honor that practice and honor that process because it it is it is the generation of knowledge. It is the generation of it. The process is the thing. It's yes. not the outcome. The process is the thing. That's it. That's it. Yes, exactly. Exactly. You know, and and this is something that our ancestors were doing for thousands of years. You know, it you know, it, it wasn't this type of thing that, you know, a college or a university. It wasn't it was it wasn't that. No, 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 no. You 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 want to you want to learn. You sit with the elders and you and you process, no pun intended, your history. <laughs> and, That's right. And you. And you reflect on that and you and you don't just talk about stuff and think about it no you go do stuff you know right so yeah this is this is really this is really something we have to you know in ways you know this get back to you know like i like i like i you know you you reminded me when you were saying that you know um the thing that was life-giving for me when i was in a doctoral program was sometimes just dropping everything and say you know what okay i'm i have shit to write but i'm i'm gonna go I'm gonna go play. I'm gonna go play a few shows out of state. Come back, get my mind right, you know. And then things kind of made a little more sense, you know. But yes. it wouldn't have worked if I didn't have hip hop. Wouldn't have That's worked. Right. Wouldn't have worked, you know. And so, I mean, shout out to the hip hop community in in L.A. The L.A. underground community where I kind of was surrounded. The L.A. and the and then also the Inland Empire hip hop communities where. That was that was life giving because I wouldn't have finished that shit if it wasn't for that. I wouldn't have. So you know this this is this is their success, you know. So yeah, but we gotta really That's give right. give give props to these 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 undercurrents, you know these that's these right. rivers that give us the life because that's really who we are. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah, it's really really well. I well before we get out of here, um, give us a quick rundown of the purpose gap and. What what the listeners' appetite so they can go out there and get that and begin to apply it to their lives and to the world? Yeah. So the purpose gap is uh, my response uh, to the meaning and purpose literature, all that self help literature that says, "What is it you want to do? You just go out and do it." Or you know, how do you work through? Uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? And just pick something and to say, like, for my community, at least the Chicano community, I think for broader uh, people of color, that shit ain't true. (laughs) You know, like (laughs) that just is not true. You know, like I can't I can't. So the purpose gap is to name that like there is a a gap in resources of, you know, historic traumas have caused this uh, deep chasm in in even my ability when I was young to dream big dreams for myself. So the purpose gap is designed to help. Um, communities of color. I'm, I'm speaking primarily for Latinos and uh, Chicanos, but I think you know I've I've uh, used the work in other contexts to really think through how do we build the power and collective agency, so that way when we say that stuff to our kids, when I say to my son, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" I now have some tools and and some practices to help think through what that actually means. What does that question actually mean? You know, and what is, what are all the implications on how do we build the system that will actually honor all the work that his ancestors have done to get him to where he is. And 
where he has, you know, to our conversation, he has the humility to understand he's making a difference for future generations to thrive so that he's not the, and speaking of my son here, he's not the exception to the rule, but is committed to rewriting the rules. And it's not just him. He's bringing his sister along. He's bringing the neighbors along. He's bringing everyone along. Because like I said, you know, it's not about being the, um, being the center of attention all the time or being the one, you know, being the one who gets out. Um, but it really about building collective power. So that way we may all thrive. And that's, um, it's a corrective to that self-help literature. Like if you, Hey, and you know, I just say this, if the hero's journey and that like self-help literature where, you know, you want to set your intention, you want the career that you want and you're focused on you. Cool. That there's plenty of work out there, but if you're committed to, you know, communities to actually building up community. So, um, your neighbors can thrive, your family can thrive, your ancestors can be brought forward and you can celebrate for future uh, generations. This the purpose gap is, is for that work is for that communal collective building. Great. Great. Excellent. Excellent. Well, you well, listeners, you got, you got the blur from the author and the actor in the world himself. <laughs> so, so I, so, so definitely go out there and, and pick it up and let's be transformed by what um brother Pat has for us. So, so thank you so much, brother, for building with me for for a little under an hour. It's, it's really, really a pleasure to catch back up with you. I do this more often, man. Same, John. Thank you so much, man. I'm sending all my love to you, and I'm just grateful for you and your work in the world. Dope, dope. Well, thanks for listening. Um, and thanks so much to Brother Pat for lacing us with that wisdom. And I know you got a lot from it, and I know what you heard has inspired you to move and creatively transform the world. So pick up that purpose gap. And also, if you don't have Nobody Cries When We Die, pick that up too. It's a great work of theology, justice, and servanthood. And yeah, I think you'll really be inspired by what you're going to read. Good stuff. Well, we will see you once again on the first Monday in November. And I don't even know who's going to be on. <laughs> um, that's yet to be determined. But um, make sure you stay tuned to Center for Process, CTR, the number four, process.org to check out what the center's doing. Um, if you have not submitted your book proposal to Novel Adventures, please do that. Um, you can go on the Center for Process Studies website and scroll down to publishing opportunities and you'll find the series, Novel Adventures, and then you can look and see what the proposal entails and all that good stuff. And if you have some work on theology and the arts, both broadly defined, and you're doing some work that you do in community with other people, or you may have a solo project, um, Please let us know. Send the proposals to Novel Adventures Proposals at Center for Process, CTR, the number four, Process. I keep saying it so you remember, because <laughs> sometimes I forget. CTR, the number four, Process.org. Novel Adventures at Center for Process.org. So we look forward to your proposals. With that being said, we're going to have some mystery next time we join you. Um, and we know that you'll be engaged, and we're always engaged when you give your energy back to us. So let's keep working for the common good. I'm John Ivan Gill. Out. Peace. Once again, we express gratitude for joining us on all things cosmic, philosophy, science, and art. A podcast of the Center for Process Studies. For more information on what we do, make sure you check out www.center for process.org www.ctr the number four process.org my name is John Ivan Gill and on behalf of Andrew Davis we're signing off farewell <laughs>